Hi, I'm Ray, and you're listening to Insert Quest here. My pronouns are they, them, and she, her, and I'm coming to you today from the unceded lands of the Awabakal and Waramai people. Um, I have the pleasure today of talking to uh, Logan, a up-and-coming game maker from Melbourne with a plethora of games to his name already. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, Logan. Would you mind further introducing yourself for our listeners that might not be familiar with your work? Oh, thanks for having me, Ray. Super excited to be here. Uh, I'm coming to you from Wurundjeri country. Um, my name is Logan, he, him pronouns. Yeah, big tabletop role-playing game nerd. You might know me for Logan, my autobiographical game, but I've done sort of random bits and pieces for a number of years now. Um, fantastic. I've wanted to uh, have you on the show for a while, uh, being that you are based in, um, in so-called Australia um as well as myself so i always love to talk to other game uh game designers from across this continent um so it's a pleasure to finally have you on um i thought we might start where we often do by talking about why you or how you first made the jump from game player to game maker and what that looked like for you so yeah do you, do you have, want to speak to that? Yeah, sure. So I think to to take take it all the way back to uh, when I was a, a kid, I fancied myself a bit of a writer. You know, I'd write short stories and that sort of thing. Um, did writing classes in high school and that sort of thing, um, and enjoyed it, but felt there was something lacking that I could never quite put my finger on. Uh, anyway, graduated high school, went to university, uh, and happened upon this thing. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I was like, wow, that seems interesting. And I uh, watched some actual play and was like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. Where has this been all my life? Um, and started playing. And it was, I think it was through that experience of playing a campaign that went on to last, last four and a half years that um, I found that that thing that I'd felt was lacking um, because I love storytelling and um, yeah, sharing story and making story. But when I was just writing by myself, it was missing that collaboration, I think. Um, collaboration is something that I really enjoy uh, when playing role-playing games, and I didn't know how that could exist in a storytelling kind of way beyond, you know, the sort of exquisite corpse storytelling that you can do where everyone writes a sentence each. Um, mm. But, yes, I really enjoyed collaborating and playing Dungeons & Dragons, and then uh, eventually through Twitter I learned about, uh, you know, the wider tabletop role-playing game scene and you know, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of indie role-playing games. And that kind of exploded my brain, like, oh, wow, like anyone can do this. It can be about any sort of story. It doesn't just have to be, you know, sort of colonial violent fantasy um, themes. Uh, and just blew open my brain of like, okay, all the stories that I love can also be played and um, collaborate, collaboratively created. Uh, and so kind of, yeah, once I saw that indie games existed, it was very immediate, like, oh, yeah, I want to do that. Um, very short, short skip and a jump. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I always love uh, hearing the different ways people um, sort of get got started. What was the first thing you um, first thing you wrote? Not necessarily the first thing you published, but the first sort of game thing that you mm. that you wrote um, for myself. For example, I wrote a bunch of. Um, uh, fighting style merits for 
uh, New World of Darkness um, back in the day, um, with no intent of publishing, just for using it at home. But, um, but yeah, that's sort of a, an idea of, like, what I mean. Mm. One of two things, there was um, the first game I published may have been the first thing that I wrote, because I can be a bit like that, um, which was Consequential Redemption, which is for a game jam, uh, the Supervillain Redemption game jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, sort of GMless role-playing game using cards. Uh, that was the first thing I published. I know that for sure. But I also, around the same time, had this idea for a big tabletop game that is unpublished. Um, I run it at a convention, um, but it remains uh, unpublished, called Strikeout, which was uh, the game, first big game that I tried to write that was trying to be everything, uh, and therefore mm. it was, you know, nothing. <laughs> uh, trying to be too many things. Uh, but it, you know, it was an important part of the journey. So it was one of those your, two things. Your equivalent of the fantasy heartbreaker. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's interesting how so many game de- game makers, um, especially in role-playing games, but I'm sure it happens in other game designs too, so, uh, so many are really their first, like, project... Um, and it's not always their first published project, uh, but their first project that, like, they really point to is this massive thing that, like, that they shouldn't have started with. Because so often I hear from established game um, RPG writers that, like, uh, the especially sort of, like, the generation preceding ours, the, the advice is... Your first, de- like, if you, for your first design, do something, like, your first finished published game, do something small. Like, mm. do something small. And no one, almost no one ever is like, yeah, I'm going to start with something small. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel like I didn't hear that advice when I was starting out, or, you know, I wasn't uh, ingrained enough in the scene mm-hmm. to be hearing a lot of voices. Because for me, yeah, it came from having played Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. um, and then... Reading, I don't know that I played a lot of indie games before I um, started writing my own. Maybe some solo ones. But yeah, still had all of that bias and expectation and assumption that a tabletop game had to be this big thing. had to be this whole big, you know, 100-page tome. Um, And it's through the process of learning more, playing more, reading more, consuming more games that those uh, assumptions get broken down and whittled away until it's like, no, a game can be whatever you want it to be. So, yeah, I can I can understand why a lot of us are like, oh, yes, I've played this one big game, therefore my game must also be big. Yeah, I suppose it'd be like if you were a board gamer and the only board game board games you'd ever played were, like, those 4X board games, like Twilight Imperium. <laughs> it's yeah, like, goodness. Well, it's my turn to design a board game, and this is what it must be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you're talking about the expectations and stuff too, because it does often feel like um, you see a lot of people, and this isn't so much, I mean, I would say that the, yeah, anyway, you, you often see people um, who maybe don't have as much of a connection to the indie community, uh, in community of indie game makers, um who are have been successful in other professional endeavors jumping in and being like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna make a new game like the big one that comes to mind for me is i think it was a game called bolt or quest or something where the person was like oh i'm gonna make this whole new like rpg 
thing and most of their experience i believe was in like venture capital or marketing or something uh-huh. and they came in and they just basically were pitching um rules not even rules light but a pared down D. they were really pitching dungeon world um and i do i feel like we see a lot of that um do you do you have any thoughts on on that in terms of of your journey or or related to those expectations yeah i think for me i guess speaking from my own journey i i there was a lot of i didn't know what i didn't know mm-hmm. um coming in with what i thought you know especially with my early unpublished project strikeout coming in with this and being like oh yes i've made this totally new never before seen game that's doing so many like new things um and coming from a place of uh, my context being very small, being like Dungeons and Dragons and maybe like one PBTA game that I'd read. Uh, and from, you know, in the context of those two games, yeah, I was doing, you know, new cool things, but uh, I didn't fully appreciate the vast richness of the tabletop scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that vast, rich context, my game was, you know, it was, you know, it was interesting, I guess, but it wasn't um, all that I thought it was and, uh, you know, wasn't, delivering yeah totally new um or yeah or particularly innovative innovative experience and so i think um yeah i'm sure i'm not alone in in having gone through that journey it's just a matter of yeah it's interesting seeing different people's backgrounds and therefore what uh, assumptions and expectations they build and how that trickles into the games that they make yeah yeah, i've I've certainly been there (laughs) No, indeed. I, it's it. Yeah, there's often a thing I feel like where you see game designers, and I'm guilty of this uh, as well. Where you're like, oh, I, you know, this is look at this this new revolutionary thing. And it's like that's there's hey, lots of people that have done that before and arguably done it better. And that's not a reason mm. to to that's not to say don't do that. Mm. Um, it's more that like don't assume you are innovative if you haven't um looked at the wider medium i remember when i heard about the role-playing game pendragon for the first time after playing a lot of um playing a little bit of pathfinder and a lot of world of uh new world of darkness um and listening to a lot of actual players of eclipse phase um and some powered by the apocalypse games and then hearing about um, Pendragon, which is a game where you play Arthurian knights, mm-hmm. um, and and being amazed at how specific it was. Like there weren't there weren't a whole bunch of different types of knight you could play. Um, you you could just play a knight or a lady of the court, um, uh, and there and it felt so narrow in focus. And then feeling like that was revolutionary. And then, like, uh, one, this game was very old. And then, two, um, finding out that actually there's lots of games that are really um, specific. And you don't need to include um, all of the... Like, there's no magic casting rule mechanics in uh, Pendragon because you are not a wizard, you're a knight. Like, they only need mechanics for you being a knight um so i think that was when i fell in love with like specificity yeah. as a 
as a like um yeah like a specific focus for games and so like since then everything for me has been like a specific focus share that to say is there a thing for you where like something you became aware of some like game design element or say some sort of like game design philosophy where that became like core to you so for me specificity but also like um succinctness are really mm-hmm. important to me. Do you have anything like that where you would call it out as being like really speci- uh, important to your practice? Mm. Specificity too, uh, that really resonated with me, what you were saying just then right around, um, you know, the, your game doesn't need to try to be everything for everyone and, and, and hold every genre or every possible direction that anyone could ever possibly want to explore, uh, but instead get really, really specific so yeah, I enjoy really specific games as well. There's you know tons of games out out there that are the whole game is about one day or one scene within a um, experience that you get to play through. Um, and I really enjoy those games because that specificity specificity feels like it really uh, encourages encourages you to go deep on that experience, whatever it is. So yeah, I'll say specificity as well. Um, but I think on top of that. I remember there's a game, I think it's by Caro Assertion. Uh, so, but it was a game uh, uh, where part of the mechanics was lighting a match and holding it until, uh, you know, you you couldn't either because, you know, you've burned yourself or um, you don't want to burn yourself. And that kind of blew my mind open, like, whoa, you don't even have to use dice. A match, you can use a lit match. Wow, that's, that's incredible. So that blew my mind open to just kind of think, okay, what beyond you know dice and even cards and tokens is to play with um and there's something in there about interacting with the world around you um in in reality and bringing that into fiction and those feeding each other that i think has fed my design in some ways mm-hmm. um and then i think lastly my, my all-time favorite game is Parescence. Uh, by it user Achillabators, uh, who's very mysterious and has like no social media. Oh. So I've, I've, you know, I've drawn this mysterious picture of, of them in my head. Um, anyway, Parescence is like a one or two page game, no art, like just words. Uh, you play as a forest fire, slowly burning down a forest and uncovering things. That was like a super impactful game for me. Um, and it was like super succinct, like you were saying, really succinct, not flashy not convoluted, super specific, super succinct, um, and super impactful. And that really opened my mind to like, oh, okay, like, I think that was a real experience of specificity, really paying off and really showing what's possible in so few words. And like going to the other end of that spectrum, I guess, with, you know, with Strikeout, it was trying to be that game about everything for everyone. I think going to the other end feels like that's where Parescence is, which is just one thing, super specific, it is just what it is, what the designer wanted it to be. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think the specificity and elegance, simplicity, like non-flashiness of it also has really stayed with me. Nice. I think those are all excellent uh, guiding principles. It's interesting you mentioned the, like, bringing the blending of the game's reality with your actual um, reality. Um mm because i've been toying with for like years or had been toying with for years like wanting to do a game using tarot cards and trying to work out like 
what that would be. And I ended up finally having a breakthrough a few years ago on it and realizing that I wanted it to be a racing game where your cars are fueled by magic and you have like the Yu-Gi-Oh dual disc style thing, except it's the dashboard of your car. And so playing the cards in front of you um, as the player uh, is the exact maneuver that your driver would be making is playing the card in front of them to like charge their car um, and make it do a thing. Um, uh, and yeah, just sort of reminded me of that whole thing of like making when you can make um, make an action um, that the player does be the same or similar to what the the character is doing. Um, it can really reinforce almost the immersion in the moment. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there's something about um acting that's kind of right across the middle ground, but um tabletop full LARP, which can be yeah, in some ways more accessible, right? Because if it's more small scale, you don't have to have thirty people in a room um particularly dressing up, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah, super interesting. I've I've been exploring um LARP a little bit more myself. So yeah, I'm very interested. Yeah, in that game, if you ever pick it up again, Ray, it sounds like maybe you've put it to the side. But yes, I <laughs> the cool concept i'm here for it yeah well we'll see we'll see what happens um i sort of wanted to take a detour now towards talking a bit more about the specific games um you've released and maybe games you've got um currently cooking um i thought it might be great to start with logan your autobiographical rpg um because i'm always uh mentioning it to uh, other people uh, oh. and so i would love to sort of just do a quick ad spot for for uh for logan by logan <laughs> um right now so how would you sum up logan and its play experience all right um so logan an autobiographical tabletop game is a solo um role-playing game uh, by me it's about my life so uh you play through the game using um, dice, the mix of Powered by the Apocalypse and the Firebrands framework by McGay and D. Vincent Baker. Uh, you play through scenes, you choose scenes of events that have really happened in my life and roll dice to see how they turn out. And you basically go through the game and, and end up with a version of my life in your hand. And it initially started out as, you know, just a bit of an interesting thought exercise for me. Um, and it was a very interesting journey for me to write that game. Uh, and I've been really blown away by the, yeah, saying that you're, yeah, recommending it to people. So thanks, Ray. I always bring it up at writers' festivals and things because I'm <laughs> just like, you know, I mean, if, if you need a, I feel like it's a good jumping point into role-playing games if you are somebody that conceptualizes your whole sense of self around like oh i'm a writer it's like well go read this and see how different writing can be because mm -hmm. i often feel like people that work on role-playing games don't think of themselves as writers or at least don't think of themselves as writers in the sense of like i am a valid participant in the writer subculture and it's like no you 100 percent are you are arguably doing like 
uh, more uh, difficult writing than somebody who is writing just fiction because games are both technical manuals and fiction, um, mm. uh, which isn't to say that one is easier than the other, just to say that uh, that you need to master a lot more forms, I guess, in order to... Or rather, you need to have knowledge of a lot more forms in order to um, get good at uh, writing um, role-playing games, which is why so many large role-playing games are divided up by um into workloads for so many different people um because there's so many different um forms of writing in um in role-playing games um yeah. it's like technical writing like instruction manual there's like um what's the other thing that was just my mind there's like short fiction but there's also like almost like encyclopedic style information yeah, if it's like a setting book yeah um so there's just a lot of different like writing stuff to be in there and so like yeah just more more role-playing game designers and makers need to think of themselves as writers um and which is a very long way of saying apply for some writers festivals uh, <laughs> especially as rpg stuff is becoming more and more mainstream and popular like um in the way that like superheroes and comic book writers have been uh, been included in those spaces a lot more over the last like couple of decades because of the rise of superhero film as a genre. Like you're, I think we're going to be one. We are seeing more of that, and two, like a lot of the voices at in those spaces at the moment, like in writers' festival spaces, are like um, are writers or or other um like fiction writers or podcasters or things that have jumped over into role-playing games and it's like yeah. there's no reason why one you can't jump and two there's no reason why we can't be there representing ourselves um, yeah that's interesting i uh, yeah I, I i guess i haven't really thought of myself as a writer as i was a game designer but there is definitely a writing involved like in a very base sense but also in a creative sense mm. um, if i get like, uh, leading on from that um Maybe that lack of my self-perception as a writer, my surprise when uh, I've actually had um, Logan, the autobiographical game, uh, be studied at, in two Canadian writing uh, classes, two Canadian universities in there. They have like, um, what is it called? Like autobiographical writing or life writing mm -hmm. classes. Uh, uh, Logan was used as a text in those and I was very surprised. But I guess now hearing you talk about it, Ray. Did you get any... Um... I don't know. Did you get Did you get to hear much about like what they were doing in those classes? Like, did you like? I've had friends that are poets um, randomly get reached out to by random students because they're like, "Oh, your poem was used as a as a thing in in the HSC," <laughs> and they were like, "I didn't know that they'd put it on the HSC curriculum." And so they were getting right. like, students emailing them, asking them like, "Oh, I really liked your poem. Could I?" Is, could I read more? Do you have more poems I could read? Like, do you have a, oh, a, cool. a collection or like, oh, hey, I really liked your poem. I wanted to ask you some questions about it and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious if there was any, like, um, talk back, I guess. Yeah, totally. So uh, for these on these two occasions, um, I'm aware of them because the professors reached out to me. Um, like, yeah, how do you feel about us using your game as a uh, text? 
they both here in one class to do like Q&A with the students. Um, mm-hmm. Super, super cool. They all asked really interesting questions uh, coming from the perspective of writing. Um, so yes, I, I was uh, I was made aware, at least of those two occasions. I don't know if it's gone on elsewhere. I just I don't know about it. But yeah, there's two that I can say for sure. It's so cool though that it's being used to teach people and that people are learning from it. I hope they like, I hope they played it and not just read it, but I mean, even mm, if they just they read did. it, that's still good. Yeah. My that's understanding good. is that, yeah, they, they played it in one class and then the next class was the Q and A, um, which is, uh, yeah, this is all possible. Thanks to Taylor Daniel. who's also a Canadian, uh, game designer, a teacher, and they reached out to some of their professor friends and were like, you should look at this. Yes. Thank you, Taylor. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Love it. Love it. Love to see game game makers helping other game makers. Um, mm. So cool. Um, speaking of game makers working, uh, helping other game makers, you're actually part of a game design studio of, of sorts called um, Amble, right? Yes, Amble Studio. That is correct. Yeah. Um, I took a i've been vaguely aware of your work with them but i wasn't like 100 percent sure on what y'all did and so when i looked at your website in the lead up to this the, the, the studio's website in the lead up to this interview i got the impression that you i said in our like pre-interview meeting i described it as like corporate games which is to say almost like um they seem to be like almost like training games or or like um or like there's another word that I'm looking for. It's like when you take your team to laser tag, team building, team building um, exercises almost. Um, is that close to what you're actually doing or, or would you describe it differently? Yeah, that's uh, one avenue. So uh, I started Amble Studio with some friends in 2020, um, kind of sparked by uh, Haley, who is my dungeon master in the D&D game I mentioned earlier in this episode. Um, yeah, Haley sparked this idea and gathered some folks around. So there's five of us uh, and we're all, yeah, equal partners, sharers and directors, etc. Um, and we do, I would say, I would describe us as a game studio that makes games for purpose, um, which is to say, you know, serious games is a phrase that's thrown around, but that's just to say that our games have, uh, yeah, a purpose beyond just being fun. Um, mm-hmm. Although they are, yeah, hopefully fun too. So one one avenue that that can work well in is team building games, and we did do that for a while, um, kind of exploring different avenues that um, games for purpose could exist. So yeah, we've done team building games. Uh, we've currently got a corporate client uh, that I can't say too much about, about um, building a game for them. Yeah, around you know learning, team building, um, and a lot of our games aim to create space for conversation. Um, and they can be like difficult conversations, like, um, you know, socially, they're kind of awkward to bring up, but a game can make space for that. Or they're conversations that people don't really know how to have, um, or don't know how to like self-facilitate. Um, oh, and, wow. Yeah. And so I think one uh, example of that is the adaptation game, uh, which, is, which is on our website now, uh, but it is a climate resilience board game um, about taking the players on a journey from like, oh my God, climate change is so big. What do I even do? I can't do anything. This is way too much feeling overwhelmed to playing the game, which is um, they play as themselves 
the board of the game, we adapt everywhere we go and run the game to their um, local council. Um, so it's oh. a number of suburbs altogether, and that is the game board. And so they get to experience, practice, and rehearse science-based climate events and how they will respond and how that will influence them over the next eight years. Uh, and so hopefully after that experience, they come out being like, okay, I know what's going to happen to me. I know like which streets are going to flood. And I have one or two things that I know I want to do now. Um, and what um, I really like about this game is that we run it in the communities that the game is based, um, that is the game has been localized for. And so the players that they're sitting next to when they're playing at their table are like actually people who live near them. Um, mm. And they might, you know, might actually see this person again down at the shops or at the market. Um, and it's so it feels very connective. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of a. And a lot of the feedback that we've had on that was like, oh, I'm so glad, you know, I've had this chance to like, actually think about this because I know for me, thinking about climate change is like, oh my God, what, why well, I, I can't even comprehend what am I supposed to do? I don't know how to, yeah, yeah I don't know how to have that con conversation. I don't know how to think about that. Um, so yeah, playing this game and designing this game has kind of just given a space for a lot of the players to actually sit down and think about it for a while in a way that is contained, facilitated, um, safe, use safety tools and things. Um, yeah, so that, that that's our major project at the moment. I'm actually, uh, well, when this drops, I, I will have just finished running an event uh, uh, with, with my team in Bendigo. We're running that application ah, game up there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, wow, that'd be interesting. Um, that's such a cool concept. It reminded me of, um, I can't remember the name of this game, but it's by Jason Morningstar, who has a lot of weird games, but it's yeah. about, um, they wrote a game where you play as um, cops trying to infiltrate a... Um, a undercover cops trying to infiltrate a um community resistance organization so some kind of like like maybe you're environmental activists who are blockading coal ports or whatever um that's sort of a community activist group and it's about it's meant it's does the game's intention is to teach you opsec operational security and how to protect yourself from one infiltration by um police but also um also like uh leaking information to uh to bad actors so it's not just about um you don't it's not about like oh how to how to know that the cops are infiltrating you it's like you don't even need to be infiltrated by the cops in order for this to be useful to you mm. um it's about um setting up your organization so that if the co even if the cops infiltrated there would be little uh for them to gain um uh is my understanding of it but it's it's meant to mm. teach you to like how to be aware of like the f yeah the 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 pitfalls um and obviously you know different different thematic things going on there to what you're talking about but that same thing of like this this is to facilitate a conversation and to help you understand you know what you can do and and like how to think differently it's almost like um yeah I, I fucking i love that idea and i love like the idea of using games to help facilitate a conversation which is sort of what i did with the and um 
and that fucking other one about summoning a demon to eat your memories. The binding and drawing of power. Um, but yeah, that's so cool. Um, and that's so exciting. The like localizing thing is that I imagine that requires a lot of lead time, right? To, to localize it a little bit. Yeah. Um, now that we've done it a couple of times, we started in Mary Beck council. Um, they partnered with us, um, to make the first iteration of the game. That was really powerful. Uh, but now that we've done, done it a little bit, um, we kind of know what we're looking for and what our process is. So it, um, it can happen in a couple of days. But we do like to get uh, input from the local council. Um, and so often the uh, the slowness is like, yeah, the com- the the comms back and forth, like, oh, mm. you know, yeah, asking for information and then receiving it to to build into the game. Yeah. But it's oh, like, wow, yeah, it doesn't it's not as difficult as it might sound. And I say that as as the person who doesn't do a lot of it i'm not the person on the team who does a lot of it but um it's very capable team members out of that localization work interesting interesting that's so cool um i i guess kind of an operational uh question for you about the uh about the studio is would you what you mentioned that you're all kind of equal partners is it set up almost like a co-op or is it like a mutual profit share sort of a, a situation um yeah it's um it is a business it's kind of like um what's the uh like a livelihood pod i don't know if you've heard that term before it's fairly new to me but this idea that um people because we're still standing it up um you know it takes a while to stand up a business and a lot of us have um other gigs that we're Mm -hmm. working as well um a lot of you know facilitation gigs we've got a lot of facilitation expertise in the group um and so it's a lot of, yeah, people taking out um, from, like, the Amble pool according to their needs um, and then, you know, also living off their other gigs. Um, and the idea oh, is that okay. we yeah, are, yeah. yeah, that we're, yeah, supporting each other. And so we have very, um, yeah, like we have a weekly meeting and, and you know, constant conversations about uh, money because, um, you know, you can't, it's not something you can really put off um, and can be the source of a lot of uh, bad blood really when people don't talk about it uh, but yeah the idea is that we're our livelihood pod and we're slowly um, building um, clients and pipeline and collection of side gigs that feel related um, to be able to support more and more of us um, so we've done things like uh, you know we'll do facilitation gigs as Amble Studio um, so we did a bunch of uh, like DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion facilitation. Uh, oh, yeah. that through Amble. And so then, you know, that became a pool and we were out as needed. But yeah, it's definitely still, uh, it's a high, it's a high trust, high contact um, uh, environment. And it's been really interesting as um, someone who's never, never started a, a small business before to work through that with, with my team. Um, a lot of who do have, you know, have studied or have set up, been part of small businesses before. Uh, so yeah, it's a very um, yeah sort of really meeting people where they're at uh, mm-hmm. and encouraging that pay themselves. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. I'm glad that you were able to talk a little bit about that. Um, Super fortunate. I I wanted to ask you some sort of swinging back around to personal projects because mm-hmm. um, we're getting 
towards the end of the interview now. Um, I wanted to ask you, but we're not pressed for time, just to clarify for yourself. <laughs> I don't feel like you have to rush through answering this. Um, what uh, is, what's something that you're working on at the moment that you're, or are about to be working on that you're really excited for um, coming up? Like, is there, what's sort of like, at the moment, I'm really gripped by my Solar Cold War series and <laughs> riding Section 5 alongside Assault Fleet Centauri, despite the fact that I have like 20 projects on the go at one time. That's mm. something I'm really excited for. What's something, is there something like that for you at the moment, something that you're really excited for that you've been working on? Mm, there is this idea that I've had in the back of my head, I think, probably since finishing um, Logan, my autobio. And it's still kind of nebulous. I'm still figuring out how to talk about it. Um, part of me is purposely not talking about it so that um, I don't, because I have this tendency to put an idea out on the internet and people go, oh, this sounds really cool. And that gives me serotonin. And then um, I'm like, yay, serotonin. Uh, and then I don't actually work on it. Because I'm like, yes, I've got the, got the juice. Um, but there is kind of this idea. I'm The process of working on Logan, my autobiographical game, was really interesting. And so I'm looking at sort of more autobiographical games. Um, and and it's tied to, like, game design is my currently my primary art form. So when I, yeah, want to express myself or, um, yeah, express experiences or relationships that I have, it often uh, becomes a game. And so there is something about uh, experiencing adulthood. Uh, five, but going from i guess a very sheltered upbringing in a in a christian household uh and going through this realization of you know like at school they don't teach you how to do taxes or how to find good housemates or any of this stuff that's really real uh for for me right now um yeah a lot of this stuff that doesn't get taught thinking about that and thinking about how as a kid i had a very specific understanding and assumption of, of the way that life worked like you know you get born you go to school uh you go to university you get married you get a job you get a promotion you get grandkids you die and that's like the only that is it that is life everyone does that it's just like oh yes we all know this i'm, I'm waving my fingers around in quote marks here um, <laughs> and and then actually living life and becoming an adult um and, you know queerness was never part of that you know baked in story um that i got from my childhood which obviously you know as soon as i realized i was queer and trans cracks started to appear you know my parents got divorced and more cracks started appearing uh until you know realizing okay there's actually a whole lot out there and i think yeah there's a, a game that's cooking uh and it may be you know a very slow slow cooking game but there's some game that's cooking about that journey of finding out that there is a whole lot more to life than what I originally thought there was. Mm. Do you feel like, I mean, sort of parts of that remind me of things with myself where like, I often feel like I missed out on huge parts of even the normal queer um, experience because mm. of like almost delayed life experience learning. Like, mm -hmm. I never went through uh, so, some like wild party years or anything like that. And it's like, really wish I had, because it definitely feels like uh, it's not 
like i don't even know where to begin with that now um mm-hmm. like it's so so it reminds me almost of when i grew out my hair for the first time and i had to and i was mocked for not being able to put my hair in a ponytail or when i painted my nails for the first time and i was mocked for not being able to do it right it's like i've never done this before mm, yeah like, I don't know. Is there an element of that or no? I think so in that mostly in, in challenging assumptions, I guess, mm. like um, assumptions that I had and that other people have of, of how I've lived my life or like what I've done um, mm-hmm. or not done. And yeah, I can, I can write to you right on like not having had that wild party experience um, and, you know, not having um, any romantic experiences. Uh, I think like, uh, yeah, my first um, girlfriend was when I was 20, 21, 22, sort of thereabouts. Um, and yeah, there is in our society often tells us, you know, oh yeah, high schoolers, they're all, you know, having parties and having girlfriends and boyfriends and joy friends and all that kind of thing. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't do that and I don't like feel like I missed, but I guess, I, I guess I do feel like I missed out in some ways, but I don't feel sad about it necessarily. Um, cause I, you know. I wasn't in a place to party, wasn't at home in my own body, let alone surrounded by how many other bodies there might, mm. might be in a club. Um, but, yeah, I think there is something about challenging assumptions of, yeah, on both sides of the, of the spectrum, like the really conservative assumptions that, my, that I was raised with and the really wild um, assumptions, you know, what, or I guess what I see is wild assumptions of, like, yeah, partying and drinking. Yeah, I think yeah. It's trying to find wherever my middle line is and being like, yeah, it doesn't have to be at either of these ends. Neat. That's so cool. I'm excited uh, for what that uh, what that might be, and I I hope that you you keep working on it because I I think it's going to be it's an interesting premise at the very least. Um, so hopefully you keep working on it. Yeah. Um, Me too. I hope to. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Um, it's been wonderful hearing about your practice and like and uh, and sort of like what you your your values are as a game designer. Uh, if people want to find out more about you and your work, um, where can they find you online? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter these days. Uh, I do have a Tumblr. I'm not very active there. Uh, I have an itch store with all of my games. Uh, and I have a personal website, which is woefully neglected. And Amble Studio also has um, a website. And a, so there's pl- plenty of places you could find me out there. Brilliant. Uh, and you can find links to all of those uh, down below in the description on uh, this podcast um, uh, or over on our website. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. If you listening enjoyed this interview, uh, we've got a bunch more, something like I think over 100 interviews now um with uh game designers and game makers uh and you can find those all uh on a playlist on soundcloud or uh or in the interviews category over on the website um but uh yeah thank you so much for coming on the show logan yeah thanks so much for having me ray this is a great nice great chat yeah brilliant all right well farewell from the past i'm ray